Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. I think, Pastor Stephen, I'm in fairly reasonable company given that Peter and the apostles went all night and caught nothing. <laughs> I must say I'm really enjoying having the Lord's table during the week. It's lovely, as Nathan was reminding us, we, we forget so easily. And it's lovely to be reminded again, even in the middle of a week when we mightn't be used to. So praise God. Um, the title of my message tonight is from trauma to triumph. And I want to look at this topic um, through the prism of a character from the Old Testament called Jephthah. He's one of the judges um, or the deliverers that God used in a time in the history of the children of Israel when there wasn't any centralized king or any authority. They were just out of Egypt. And there was this period about 400 years when They really fell into sin, they would cry out to God, God would raise up a deliverer and that deliverer would come and the Lord would use that person, individual, to deliver them out of the hands of the enemy. So it was a particular time in the history of the children of Israel. Now this, uh, probably many of us will be familiar with some of the more famous ones like Samson and there probably isn't a person almost in the Western world who doesn't know about Samson and there's others like Gideon. Um, Barak. Jephthah is a rather complicated character. And, you know, I love the complicated characters in the Word of God because we're all complicated. If the scripture was just bland types who were do-gooders and never did anything wrong, I don't think we'd get much out of it. But this man, he was complicated. There was a lot of pain in his life But I want to read the end of his story before we start delving into it. And I don't mean mean the end back in the book of Judges. I mean the last thing that's said about him in the Bible. And it's from the book of Hebrews. And it's from that great chapter on what's known as the heroes of faith. It says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So here's the end. Whatever pain, whatever complications, whatever troubles in this man's life, he ends up here in a lineup with David and Samuel and Daniel and all of these wonderful figures. How? Through his exploits? Not really. But it says through faith. Through faith. And you know, it struck me when I was thinking about this, that for us, The exploits we can aspire to as believers is simply this, to believe what God says. That's it. That's the pinnacle. It's the peak. 
for any life. It's just to believe what God says. And through that flows so much through faith. So let's look at the journey of faith because there's always a journey, there's always a process in a life. And, you know, we look into the Old Testament for different reasons. The Lord has given us it. We are not under the Old Covenant, but he has given us this Old Testament to uncover for us spiritual principles. Spiritual principles which are difficult to understand in ways because they're abstract. But he gives us concrete stories so that we can, unf- we can see in an outworking these realities. And the, in Corinthians, it, the writer says these things, and he's referring back to the Old Testament, were written for our instruction. So we shouldn't neglect them. We don't live under this covenant, but we take the principles from it, and we also see Christ in it. And we're going to look at, each, at, at those different aspects as we go through this uh, life tonight. We're going to see these principles for our instruction. This was a real man. He lived in a real time. He existed. He had feelings. He did what he did. And we're going to learn from that. And we're also going to see Christ Jesus shine out of it, as he does out of everything in this book. Hallelujah. So let's just turn then, if you have a Bible or a device, to Judges chapter 11, please. And we'll read, we'll pick a few verses here and there just to get the gist of the story. And then we'll address a few different aspects from this journey, from trauma to triumph. So Judges 11. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you're the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Israel, of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said, what do you have against me that you've come to me to fight against my land? And the king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel on coming up from Egypt took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok and to the Jordan. 
Now, therefore, restore it peaceably. Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites. But when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Israel then sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, Please let us pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And they sent also to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained at Kadesh. We're going to skip a bit here because he goes through this back and forth argument with the king of the Ammonites. And we'll jump down to the concluding part of uh, Jephthah's statement to the messengers. Uh, in verse, uh, let's take it to verse 26. Now, while Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages and in Aror and its villages, and in all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, 300 years, why did you not deliver them within that time? I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah he passed on to the Ammonites. Just jumping to verse 32. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand, and he struck them, it says, with a mighty blow. And they were subdued before the people of Israel. So there's another incident then that occurs where Jephthah makes this foolish promise to sacrifice the first thing that comes out from his house if the Lord gives him victory. And his daughter comes out. Now this is a fairly controversial passage and there's different views on what it actually means. My personal view is that he absolutely, this is not human sacrifice. That this was, a human sacrifice was an abomination to the Lord. And I don't believe the Lord would have held Jephthah to such a statement. And the daughter, it says, she asks for a couple of months to lament her virginity on the mountain. So it seems my interpretation is that this girl gave her life to service in the tabernacle or someplace like that and never married, never had a family, that that was the sacrifice, that was the giving. And of course, that was a, a really difficult thing for a family because it, this was his only daughter and now the line would end and there would be no possibility of the Messiah coming through this line. But anyway, that's, we're not going to address that. We leave that to one side. But just to finish up, to wrap up, wrap up with one verse in chapter 12, to conclude, it says, Jephthah judged Israel, this is verse 7, six years. Then he died and was buried in his city in Gilead. So that's a kind of a quick run through the life and story of Jephthah. I'm going to consider it under four uh, steps. We've said from trauma to triumph. So we're going to start with the trauma. Um, Continue with the hour of need. Then we're going to look at the calling and finally the triumph. Now, I think the trauma is quite clear cut. We can see here what happened to Jephthah in his life. He himself was part of a family, but he was the son of a prostitute, presumably some misdemeanor by 
his, either his father or an older brother, we're not told. Actually, it must have been his father because he was his son. And his father took him in, obviously, did the right thing. And I, it's, I'm reading between the lines here, but it's hard not to get the impression of a relatively privileged family. Privileged enough that they would be known, that Jephthah would be known and have the reputation as he grew up of a, of a warrior. So much so that the elders of Gilead would know about this family and this man. And that they would be well off enough that the father could take him in. Even he had this son with a prostitute and he took him into the family. And, you know, I, I can't help wondering if he probably had a fairly reasonable happy childhood with his father and his brothers there. I, I'm guessing his father probably loved him. He's his son. He's his son. Regardless of however different he is in terms of the other brothers. But then, and I wonder if it was when his beloved father died, this terrible trauma comes. Comes to age, maybe his dad dies. Suddenly the brothers all see, we're not dividing up this great inheritance we have with this, this black sheep. He's not one of us. And they said they cast him out. They drive him away. Out of the family. Now can you imagine, as I say, the trauma, the bitterness, the sense of rejection, of complete dislocation that this meant for Jephthah. Just try and put yourself in his shoes. He's been driven out of his own family. The loneliness The deep unfairness. It's not his fault. Nothing to do with him. He's been wronged. His prospects have been annihilated. He now has no inheritance. He's been treated badly. And I can't help thinking of him as he he leaves the family, as he's driven out, and he heads off. He goes probably as far away as he could from them. He goes up to what's called the land of Tob, which seems to be somewhere up in the Galilee region. What a chip on his shoulder he must have had with a sense of burning justification at the way he's been treated through no fault of his own. And he disappears off the scene. It's clear that he's gone for quite some time. He's, he has an adult daughter by the time this story happens. And he gathers around him, the word of God says, a group of men called worthless fellows, it speaks. They collect around him. And he surrounds himself, perhaps feeling the rejection of his family. He replaces his family with another group of these worthless men to protect himself, presumably. And you know, as we think about trauma, and that's a big word, But I would venture to say that trauma, to some degree or another, now it could be just in a small way, but also in a very big way, it finds us all at some point in our lives. It could be from very young, it could be later. It finds us all. It can be something personal, something in our lives that happens. It could be the death of a close person that really impacts us. 
It could be a financial collapse. It could be a marriage or a relationship breakdown that really deeply impacts us and just dislocates us from our sense of ourselves. Trauma is something that just, it, it kind of, it, it removes our sense of who we are, our sense of security, our sense of the safety of what we are in our life up to that point. It could be a family upset or division. It could be a child who departs from the Lord and overthrows all our preconceived ideas. It could be a health diagnosis in ourselves or a family member that deeply impacts us. It could be rejection by people we thought were our friends. These, these are many of the aspects, and as I say, it comes to us all at some point, one time or another. It can unfortunately often be a church-related church or Christianity-related issue. We can be damaged by gossip. We can be damaged by division or splits or losing of friends or family. We can have deep disappointments at times at unmet expectations of God or of others. These are real things, brothers and sisters. There's no point in hiding them or running away from them. These deep wounds can come in our lives, whether as unbelievers or as believers. And of course, it could be something completely outside of ourselves. We have people in this, in this church these days who are going through the most awful trauma of war. It's a terrible thing. All their sense of who they are, their, their family life, their homes, just uprooted. To a certain extent, we all went through a trauma to some degree over the last few years with this pandemic. Particularly young people, I think. How it affected our young people is traumatic. So there's nothing new in trauma. There's nothing unique in it. It finds us all. But it's the effect it has that I want to speak about here tonight and how God looks upon us. Because trauma often can result in retreat just like it did here with Jephthah. He retreats away. He disappears off into this land of Tob. It can be a retreat within ourselves. We retreat, we all know it. We retreat away within ourselves. It can be a retreat surrounding ourselves with some kind of protection, like he did with these, this cohort of people. It can be a retreat from God. We can have God in our crosshairs. Lord, you didn't do such and such. You didn't meet some expectation. You didn't answer this. And we retreat from him. We retreat from that open relationship we have with him. And I want to ask that question of my own heart and of each one of us tonight. What's our land of Tob? What's our cohort of worthless fellows, if you like, that we surround ourselves with? Where do we lick our wounds of rejection or upset or bitterness, our sense of not belonging? Where do we retreat? Is it into self-indulgence? Is it into vain, worthless pleasures? Is it retreating from an active Christian life, protecting ourselves from people and the wounds of 
fellow believers. I think for many, unfortunately, lockdown gave an escape route, which many have not emerged from, a retreat. Have we retreated from a vital living walk with Christ just into some other place? Could be even busy religion, but there's something, there's a retreat away from a living experience day by day with God that has taken place. We don't even hardly realize it, but some wound or trauma has come into our lives that has driven a wedge and caused us to go into that land like Jephthah. But you know what? Thank God he loves us. And he doesn't just leave us to wallow on in our isolation and in our need. He comes to fetch us back in his grace, which is exactly what happened here. And he often, I believe, uses two pressure points, probably more, but two I want to highlight from this experience, two pressure points, two levers in our experience to draw us out of that land of top, to draw us out of that place where we retreat to. And the first one is the hour of need. And this is what God brought to this land at this time. He brought an hour of need. And so often, it's when an hour of need comes into our lives or into our family. It could be some health issue. It could be some trouble. And it wakes us up to where we are. It could be the need beyond ourselves. We, just, we wake up to the need around us. And we realize, I'm freewheeling here. I'm just spinning my wheels. I've retreated away from a reality in my life. He can cause that to press in upon us. And this is what happened in this period of time with these Ammonites. It speaks about the for 18 years, it says that they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel. And mostly this was with the people who were on the east side of the Jordan River. But around this time they began to cross the Jordan to really impact in the very heart of Israel. And it says Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. So now the pressure is on. The need is hitting home. It's impinging on the heart of Israel, the whole length of the land, not just those out in the land of, of the east of Jordan, which wasn't really proper Israel, if you like probably making its presence felt where Jephthah was hiding out. Pastor Nick was reminding us, speaking to us last week, why are there so many enemies? And this is why. So often it's to flush us out. To flush us out of our hiding place, of our place where we've settled back in a self-protection and this was, the, this was the first item, if you like, that resulted in, the, in that move coming to get Jeff, to get him out of this place he's in, bring him back to the center. 
And sometimes it takes need. That's why there are so many enemies. But that's not the only lever God used. The other influence he brought to bear is, I believe, the calling, the calling of God. And this is that wonderful voice of the Holy Spirit that comes to us where we're at. He doesn't wait for us to come to him. He comes where we are. And if you're, if you're hiding out in some place, perhaps you're not a believer if you're listening tonight, and you're hiding out in your need, his voice comes calling. And that's what happened here. It says that the elders of Gilead, they went, they traveled to the land of Tob to appeal to Jephthah to come back. There's a calling. The gentle voice of the Holy Spirit, he calls to your heart. He calls to us. He pleads with us. He comes down to us where we are. And he says to us, you're needed. Your gift your voice, your unique function. He reminds us what he has put within us, perhaps even long forgotten and neglected, but the word of God tells us that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And you know there's a unique calling for every single life. There's a gift of grace given to every man, woman, every single one who belongs to God. Ephesians 4, 7 says, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Everyone. Timothy tells us, Paul writing to him says, God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So there's a call on your life. There's a call on every single life that he owns. And if he doesn't own you, he's calling you. He's calling you to come back to him, to return to him. He's come. He sent a delegation. That delegation is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He sent his Son to die. He sends his Spirit to plead with you. Come. Come back. And if you're a child of God, and if you've retreated from what that call of God in your life is, he calls to you. Remember what I've put in you. Remember that gift that's in you. And come. Or perhaps you don't know what it is. He's still calling to you. Come. Come out of a place of just being passive, of just being yourself and living for yourself. Come. Come to the need of the hour. And I firmly believe when I was preparing this word, I just felt that sense that the Holy Spirit is calling us. He's calling us, brothers and sisters, to come in this hour 
to come and be his hands and feet. The only way this hour can be met is you and me. The people had pleaded with God. They'd repented. They said, we're sorry for our sins. But there was a need for Jephthah to come. But there is always obstacles to the calling of God, isn't there? In Jephthah's case, he he articulates it in verse 7. He says, fine, but did you not hate me? You're calling me, but did you not hate me? And drive me out. Moses said, I cannot speak. That was his obstacle. Jeremiah said, I'm only a youth. Jonah said, and I'm paraphrasing him, I object to the task you're calling me to. Peter said, yes, but what about this person? Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift. God has not given you the spirit of fear. There's always an obstacle. And there will be an obstacle where there's a calling. But he draws us to come and step over that obstacle. Yes, you hated me. Yes, I'm only a youth. Yes, I can't put two words together. But God, I'm coming. I'm stepping out of my land of Tob where I'll spin my wheels for the rest of my life. And we'd have never heard of Jephthah again, ever. But he wants you and me, each one here in this place, he has a calling for your life. And the objections and the problems are because we think it's about us, but it's not. It's not. It's not about whether you can speak or what you're like or what you're not like. He's, uh, to quote Timothy again, he has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This is huge, folks. This is something that was established in eternity for your life and for my life. Don't take it lightly. That calling for your life. It's a calling in Christ Jesus. We can stay in the land of Tob, our own environment, our comfort zone, or we can step into that place of faith and warfare because it's always a battle that he's calling us into. Oh, his spirit, I believe, is seeking to woo us, to appeal to us. Oh, come. Oh, come, my people. Come. Let's consider then, we know Jephthah, he does come. Let's consider then the triumph. The triumph. And as we consider the triumph, I want us to think here of Jephthah in this picture fading to black. Forget about Jephthah. The triumph is nothing to do with him or you or me. Let's change the focus. 
Let's flip the narrative and look through the word of God, the great, that precious diamond now from another angle, and see in this great story, not just Jephthah, but we see the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is, as much as Jephthah was a man who lived and breathed and died, he's also a type He's a shadow. He contains the shadows of our blessed Savior who was also rejected by his brothers, who also had insinuations about his birth thrown around the place, even though in his case they weren't true, who also dwelled and lived, if you like, in the land of Tob up there in Galilee. He's moved and worked there. He did surround himself with a group of vain people just like us, vain men, worthless fellows, They were called the 12 apostles. And they were worthless in themselves. And he was the ultimate mighty warrior. Hallelujah for Jesus. This is simply a shadow of a far greater man. God man. Hallelujah. And you know, like the Israelites did with this Jephthah, we can reject him, cast him out, We'll have nothing to do with this man, the majority say. We can even, as God's people, keep him at arm's length. But he is there, like Jephthah was, as they struggled with these Ammonites, hidden in the corner of the land was this one who was destined to be their deliverer. And just as we struggle in our own strength so often, with the trial and the battle that comes our way, but hidden, hidden in the land, hidden in us, is the one who is the answer. And there's only one, and it's Jesus. Hidden in the land. He is at hand. He is not far from every one of us. Even if you are an atheist tonight, he is not far from you. He is at hand to hear your call. And if you're in trouble... If you're in distress and you've turned away from him, now is the time to call upon him. And as I say, even us as God's people, oh, I know it, I know it, we can keep him at arm's length. Yes, he's there, but he's a bit removed. I keep him in his corner of my land. I keep in the religious section of my life. Until the need bites. Then I find myself saying, come Lord Jesus, help me. Help me fight my battle. I'm not able, I'm lost without you. And I send a delegation his way and by God's grace, he comes. He comes. And he says, yes, I am here. I am living within you. I'm in your borders. And this is the wonderful thing about our salvation. We don't need any, we don't need something to come down from the sky. We don't need to go down to the depths. It's Christ within us. And it's the activation of that life within us that brings triumph. We're not looking for something emerging from the clouds. We're not having to do some amazing pilgrimage of penance. It's Christ within us, folks, is the hope of glory. He's in the land. And it's simply him being 
activated in us. That life of him. God's answer is already there within you. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to go to some super preacher. You don't need to go to some convention as helpful as they can be. God's answer, if you are born again, his answer is inside of you. Christ in you. There's nowhere to go except down on your knees. And though there is a call to respond, as I've been saying, that call is not about us. It's about, and when we respond to that call, I believe it activates that life inside of us. It activates his life. With one caveat, and Jeff to put this caveat to the elders, he said, if you bring me back to fight against the Ammonites, I will be your head. That was the caveat. You do it my way. I get to be the boss. <laughs> and that's the only condition the Lord puts on his involvement in fighting our battles is that he says, you do it my way. And you submit to my way and my plan for dealing with your need. And you know, that can be so hard, don't we know it? I want the Lord, yes, I want him to help me. I want him to come and just fight the battle and deliver me from this enemy. But I want it done a certain way and in a certain time frame. And in a certain sequence of events, Jephthah said before, if I'm coming back, I will be head. That's the condition. And we've got to swallow our pride and our self-will and our conditions that we start putting on God. Isn't it just a joke? And we bow the knee. He's not there to be our lapdog. No terms and conditions from us. We allow his life in us to take center stage and that's where victory lies, brothers and sisters. And it's certain victory. And of course, the minute Jephthah, like our great savior, steps into the scene here, the battle is already won. But there's an interesting, I think a very instructive passage here. We read a little bit of it where Jephthah doesn't just launch an attack on the enemy. He starts a conversation. He sends messengers to challenge why the Ammonites are here at all. And he spends this time to expose a lie. There was a lie, a 300-year-old lie that the Ammonites were recovering what Israel had robbed from them. And you can read through it in your own time. Jephthah takes the time sending messengers back and forth to, to deal with this lie, to lay it out, no, Here's the truth. Here's the truth. 
and I love this. God must first deal with lies. He must first establish truth. So often the attack of the enemy is based on a lie. And it's lies that bind us, that cripple us. And you know, if our understanding is wrong, we will always be in defeat, always be in condemnation. Pastor Stephen said at the very outset of this meeting, the truth will make you free. The truth. And this is what Jephthah does before. There's a shot fired, a spear thrown. He establishes the ground of truth. And you know, that's what we must be prepared for as we allow his life to take center stage in our lives is not necessarily immediate shots to be fired, but truth to be established in our hearts and minds. Because on the ground of truth comes freedom and victory. It's when the truth is established about who we are, about who Jesus is, about what the cross has done. It's then, then, that the victory gets won. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Again, quoting Pastor Nick at the weekend, we bind ourselves to his word and we win. And it says, then the Holy Spirit came on Jephthah. Once truth was established. And you know, that's what's so often wrong with some of this crazy, over-the-top Pentecostalism. Supposedly, the Holy Spirit is coming on, on a ground of nothing. But the Spirit of God comes in true victory when it's on the grounds of truth. Hallelujah. And that's the safe ground, brothers and sisters. We want to be safe as true spirit-filled believers get ourselves locked on and in to truth and we will be safe and we will triumph and nothing will move us hallelujah oh hallelujah so this this i believe is that that defining factor in a Christian life, or a non-Christian, or a backslider, as we said, we've repeated again, he's calling us. He's calling us out of our place. He's calling us out of that place we're stuck in. We can end our days in vanity, or we can end them walking in faith, and lining up alongside David, Samuel, Jephthah, Joshua, Martin Luther, David Wilkerson, and countless others whose names we have never heard of. Those who by faith overcame. Circumstances we will never know until we meet them in glory. By faith. This Jephthah character, he didn't live a long life. It says he judged Israel for six or seven years after this. So I don't think he, 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 he lived a kind of a, a long glorious retirement or anything. He had no descendants. His daughter ended up childless. But his name is etched in the family of faith. What a legacy. Whatever your life is, what a legacy. What a legacy. Have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's first priority. And have your name etched 
in those who by faith overcame whatever that situation might be, even if it's a tiny one just in your own family life, you will be etched in that record of heaven. Oh, folks, let's count for God in our day. Let's allow him to have his way in us. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.